1: Rock and roll is just like real human history. We are constantly relearning as we find old tapes, photos, journals, diaries, recordings in the most random places. We are here to learn together. This is the third episode of your favorite new podcast, The (laughs) Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. I am Marcus in the Darkest, and with me
2: is my co-host... Ray Coob, also known as The Doc, and we are a production of Dark Doc Media. I like how we put our names together, our nicknames together there, and uh, made that work. What are we
1: talking about this week, Marcus? We're going to actually be opinionated for the first time. We're Uh going to talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class Uh of 2019. And then we'll vary and digress to other aspects of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and bands who probably aren't in that should be in. Sure. And maybe even a few bands that are in that maybe shouldn't be in. Should I
2: grind the old axe about where they chose to put it? Nah, I think it's time to let that go.
1: Yeah, let's let that go. Cleveland?
2: Well, sure, it went to Cleveland. But did you know that Philadelphia was almost the home for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I did not know that. That's where we live. And so, you know, we still think in terms of we're Philly-centric. Yes, we are. In that regard. There were multiple cities... And this is when I was working at MMR. It's one of the things we worked on. There's pictures of the Bella in a fur coat, and me and my pal Rondo DeMarco standing there with the bags, big trash bags filled with petitions to bring the hall to Philadelphia. They were talking about putting it in the place where the um, the Seaport Museum is down oh. there along the river. But as we all know, it went to Cleveland. That was a long time ago. I'm letting it go.
1: But we're not bitter anymore.
2: No. And honestly, I have not yet been to uh, the, the Hall of Fame. I don't get to Cleveland very often. And it wasn't uh, fully built when I last visited. They have done an amazing job with the museum itself. The people rave about how the, um, the exhibits are updated when they get new things. And people who go to visit rave about the full culture of rock and roll. Because there's always music playing. There's always live events. There's there's an event coming up with uh, uh, Alex Lifeson and Geddy Lee on Rush Fan Day where Alex is going to interview Getty, it's going to be streamed and all yeah. that. And then they're going to do a book signing for the big, beautiful baseball book that cool. uh, Getty wrote. Those kind of things happen all the time at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And hey, maybe one day they'll invite us to do the podcast there. That would be yeah. amazing. Yeah. Hey,
1: let's shoot for 2020, Ray. All right,
2: that'll be our first target.
1: I was at the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in like 95, 96 when it first opened. It was real basic. It was nice. It was beautiful. It still had that new smell and that new feel. <laughs>
2: that new car smell. Yeah,
1: that new car smell, that new building smell. Kind of like the Met in Philly has right now. Oh, I got to go there. Oh, that What's place there? is great. Yeah. The vibe of that place was really cool. The design, it just, it was in the early days and a lot has happened since I was there in 95, 96. We've had 22 years of induction since then. So That's the exhibits have grown tremendously, but it is definitely something that I'm going to get back to. And I've got a little guy who's big in music. So it would be fun to do a trip to Cleveland with the family and take him to walk around and check out the music as Rock well. Rock
2: Hall, if you're listening, yes. you can email us at History. Imbalancedhist- History at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page Imbalance History of Rock and Roll on Facebook. Um, the 34th Annual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions are happening in Cleveland March 29th. Well it's happening in Brooklyn as they always do. And I yeah. want to I want to stop for a second before we go too far. And of course it'll be on HBO once they edit it down to TV's yeah. size, you know. I didn't always like the Waldorf Astoria induction ceremonies. Why? I thought it was too exclusive and eventually the voice of the fan needed to be injected. And I think since they've moved it to a concert venue, the VIPs still get their spots up front and all that the way they should. The Hall of Famers are in a special section and all that. But I think what it has done is brought back the fan. The fan vote and having it at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn have been two of the best things they've done with the presentation in a long time. And they get to share it. It had, it had too much of like an insider's club feel to me. Like, hey, you want to be in here, but you can't get in here. It's the wall door.
1: <laughs> this that- is different you have to have the fans involved in it. Why wouldn't you? The fans are what made the rock and roll what it is. So it's the fans who are supporting these bands who are getting that recognition. So you have to acknowledge that aspect of it.
2: And as will happen every year for the last 33 years, now 34, there is some rancor over who got in and who didn't. And that's part of what we want to talk about. Mainly, we want to talk about the bands that did get in. They put it on the website in Alphabetical, so we'll go that way. First up, The Cure and... And I'm a fan of the band. I think that they've got a great body of work. Their international success is clear. The only question I have about The Cure at all being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is did they do it well enough, long enough? And sometimes that seems to matter and sometimes it doesn't.
1: I would have to say yes, because if you look at their early days from like Boys Don't Cry and Three Imaginary Boys to even like the hot, hot, hot stuff, They have had an impact, whether it be college radio, they've had an impact on the goth movement, the Deftones, Marilyn Manson, all have been influenced by The Cure. So many other bands have been influenced by The Cure. And if you look at their body of work, albums like Faith and 17 Seconds, which are more obscure Cure albums are brilliant and they show a different side of Robert Smith's songwriting. I love the fact that he did things differently every album, he changed his style, he changed his sound, but yet he still was successful in getting college radio and alternative radio to play his music.
2: And commercial radio really when they first hit and broke out, really went apeshit over them because here was a new band, a relatively new band, that they had just discovered here in the States that they could play and was reacting everywhere, was already selling concerts, not maybe oh, yeah. not you know big arenas yet but they were doing great. And I remember I used to do on MMR for like two, three years, I did a Saturday night broadcast live at the TROC. I remember every time you put on Fascination Street or Friday I'm in Love, the dance floor would fill up. Let's Go to Bed, prime Love time, Cats, time same ones. Prime time 80s right there. In the, in the middle of the late '80s, mm-hmm. they were about as hot as a band could get without all the trappings that big bands sometimes got caught up in. They could disappear, which was kind of cool for them. Yeah. So I'm happy they're getting in.
1: I am too. And did you ever see The Cure
2: live? Can't think I, ha- I, don't I, think I have. I saw them in
1: '85. I was at American University in D.C. It was. About three days before I was going home after my freshman year. And we had just finished finals, so we stayed a few extra days to unwind. Right. And the cure came, and that was part of why I stayed late. And I was blown away by that concert. A lot of times it was bright lights with smoke, but they sounded so clean. And they shut it down with Gary Glitter's Do You Want to Touch? And they killed it live. Just absolutely crushed it. He brought the heavy to it. And I was surprised because it wasn't what you were expecting, but he flowed through, I mean, their live show was just so good. It was so fluid and it was, it just sounded so good at that time. Concerts have changed a lot since, you know, those days with sound, with performance and all that. And The Cure was always big about sounding good and always big about, Trying to be great live as well as putting these cool albums together.
2: And that's why you get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, if you think about it. You you do it all. You don't just do one aspect right. Although there are people in there who um, did just one or two aspects incredibly Mm. right. Absolutely. The Def Leppard story leading up to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is, is really one I enjoy. And here's part of the reason why. They don't give a flying shit. They didn't. Years ago, when they were first being snubbed, they had the attitude of, yeah, whatever. Even as recently as um, when they were being considered during the, before the fan vote was announced, which they won which helped slam the door for them to get in this year. They had the, yeah, whatever attitude. And I uh, like Joe Elliott, who is, is a master of quips and quotes. Oh, yes, he is. When they when they told him that he was in it, and they asked him for the quote, he goes, well, it's a rather nice club to be in, isn't it? That's it. You know, <laughs> it's And a lot of people kind of have been forced, I think, to look at it that way. We'll talk a little bit more about the bands that didn't get in. But they're one of those groups that said, eh, we'll get in or we won't, and um, pretty amazing run that they've had. I was a fan from the beginning, like the songs I heard on the first couple records.
1: So you listened to them before uh, bringing, up, bringing on the Heartbreak and now all that,
2: that? Right before that yeah. is when I came in. And then when they were putting together the new album, it was pretty astounding. One day, I'm at MMR, and uh, my extension rings, and it's Aaron Riley, who was the music director at the time, says, Hey, Cliff Bernstein's here with the new Def Leppard record. You want to have a listen? this was about th- two, three months before we would hear anything. And we went into the one studio, and the, they put the cassette on. Back then, you walked around with cassettes of it. it was, <laughs> and... Even on cassette, even through those speakers in a little, you know, newsroom studio type thing, it sounded amazing. And and I knew that they were going to have their biggest success. And it's been great to see them still playing, sounding and looking good with all but Steve Clark, obviously, as as original members. And Adrian's been in the band so long, it's almost like he's been there the whole time anyway. But it's really good to see them getting in because that sets the tone for a lot of bands that have had what I would call voter committee prejudice, being from that... Post New Wave of British Heavy Metal, and uh, there were a lot of them that got that ran into some of that prejudice.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt they should be. in. what they do now even shows that their impact is huge. They still sell out stadiums and arenas. Big
2: show. That's it, man. Yep,
1: big rock show. And you're right, absolutely. I mean, when they go on tour with other bands from the '80s, they're the ones headlining. Oh yeah, not the other bands. They're the ones still headlining.
2: And they gather bands that that can be great support acts that people want to see. So it's always a good time.
1: Yes, from the the minute you walk into that venue to the minute you leave, you know you're going to have a hell of a rock and roll concert. And that's what it's about. And their live shows, their albums, their impact on music. I mean, they had Mutt Lang who helped Convert them, which we were talking about off-mic, right. going from that more new wave of British heavy metal sound to the glam sound that he added that gave him that poppy feel or that more a, mainstream feel. Yeah, it. a polish. It
2: was the finish that really made it. Mm-hmm. And and he, he'd done some stuff before that, but I think it was with Def Leppard, where for Mutt, that he kind of perfected his sound as a producer. <laughs> and they were the beneficiaries. Yes, they were. Next up is the Jackson Five's Little Sister Janet, who I remember, got to realize, I remember when... Mm, The Jackson 5 were new, and then a few years down the line, uh, Little Sister Janet started showing up. So she's always been born of and raised in uh, Motown royalty as an atmosphere. Her music was her own, continues to be her own. Her biggest songs play to more of an R&B feel, but her songs got so big in the 80s that rock stations were playing Janet Jackson. Didn't last real long, but there were rock stations playing Janet Jackson. Crossing crossing lines. That's fair.
1: I mean, when I worked at the first AC station, I worked at Magic 100 in Denver, we played That's the Way Love Goes, and we Mm. played the crap out of it. I love that song to this day. I think Janet Jackson is great. I think she's talented. I first got a hold of her, first heard about Janet was when she was on Different Strokes as Willis's girlfriend.
2: Oh, yeah, I forgot about that.
1: So that was my first, I was like, oh, that's, because we thought it looked like Michael Jackson, and then somebody was like, yeah, that's Michael Jackson's little sister, like, like,
2: all grown up. <laughs> but she's
1: she's got a great voice. She's quirky, definitely like the Jacksons, so she fits into that area. But I'm kind of mixed on it because of some of the bands that were left off that have had a huge impact on rock and roll. But you can't deny her impact on her branch of the family tree of rock and roll and pop.
2: I have some strange nooks and crannies in my record collection. And I will say, at a time in my life when I could get a free copy of pretty much any record out there, when I was working at MMR in the 80s, I bought Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation. It's a great album. And it still holds up for me, I know. I've got down in the J's away from my C's where you'll find my C&C Music Factory record but that's a whole nother discussion for another time I understand what people are saying some people take the rock and roll part of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame too literally I think it really is a music hall of fame some people say they should change the name I think it is what it is at this point I think mm-hmm. everyone knows the brand and as mm-hmm. we know it's about building your brand and mm-hmm. everybody knows what the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame means
1: and Her Motown influence is part of the Rock and Roll family tree without a doubt she's most Motown Motown royalty, and Motown is a huge branch in the rock and roll family tree, so you can't deny that. (laughs) And while they've changed that sound, sound has changed not only with technology, but with time and with generations, because everybody wants to do their own thing. That's right. So you have to honor that. And like I said, I'm kind of iffy. I totally understand why she's in, and I get why she's in, but... I feel like there are other people that have just as much impact or more impact that aren't in. So it can go again either way. I'm cool with her being in.
2: Next up on the hit parade is a lady we've known as a solo artist and as a member of Fleetwood Mac. She gets in as a solo artist, first nomination, First ballot elected, and of course we're talking about Stevie Nicks. And I like almost all of her records, in and out of Fleetwood Mac. This is for her solo work being yes. honored. For me, it's kind of like a borderline area because it, it it's been good, but and it's been it was really good for a number of years. But is it still people still go see her? I know that. Don't get listen, Stevie fans, you can you can lambast me if you want, but or blast me whatever you want. But I I think that maybe first nominee, first time nominated, first ballot is a little bit much there. But that I being agree. said, I love Stevie Nicks not as much as I love Christine McVie, yeah. but that's just me.
1: I like Christine McVie better too. I liked her voice better always. And Stevie Nicks is amazing. She's super talented. The work she did with Tom Petty, her solo albums, her Fleetwood Mac albums, even her old albums that she recorded at Sound City with Lindsey Buckingham are really good.
2: Buckingham Nicks is really yep. a great I record. I mean,
1: it really is a great record. And she She's a smart songwriter. She's a beautiful songwriter. She's written some beautiful songs, without a doubt. But as a solo artist, I'm definitely on the fence about that versus her work with Fleetwood Mac, just because has her solo work had the kind of impact on women in rock the way Janet Jackson has?
2: That's a good question. I think that there are other women who've probably been, who have had more of an impact, but I gotta say, I think that there's a lot of women who are singing in their own voice because what she did outside of Fleetwood Mac was express her own voice and I think that that it has had a level of inspiration, and not just to the Stevie fashion, if you know what I mean. Yeah,
1: no, totally. But again, we're not knocking her talent, we're not knocking her skill, and we're not knocking our love for her music by any means, but we're just trying to look at it as objectively as possible.
2: And look at the list of the People who aren't in there for their yeah. primary work that they did. Yeah. That's part of it too.
1: Absolutely. You're comparing her to other people who aren't in who maybe have a bit bigger influence than she does. Ready for the next one?
2: Um, I am gonna let you lead Alrighty. on uh one of the I'd say one of the most loved, quirkiest, and yes, in some cases most hated bands as maybe presented by to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet there's, n- I don't think there's a whole lot of controversy about the fact that they make amazing records and that they, they're a unique anomaly that has succeeded despite their best attempts to not. And I know you're a huge Radiohead fan, and I'm really glad for all my friends. Andre's another one. Yeah. Andre Gardner, my brother, man, uh, who just, you know, you don't, Radiohead fans are everywhere. They're just not as visible as the big rock show fans.
1: Radiohead is one of those bands you either like or you don't. I don't feel like there's any middle ground with them. I don't feel like you can just be like, yeah, I'm cool with Radiohead once in a while. It's either you like them or you don't.
2: I will beg to differ on one point there. Okay. Because I've been exposed to most, if not all, of their records. Again, thanks to Andre Gardner, one of the (laughs) biggest Radiohead fans I know. And some of them are accessible and fun. familiar feeling so there's some aspects of it that are I, I hear stuff even some of the more experimental stuff i hear and go wow that's really cool yeah. but there's some things i just can't get my couple records i just can't get mm-hmm. my head around and, and and i think i'm not alone there right tell nope. me i'm not alone You're you can down. email us at imbalancedhistory@gmail.com history at gmail.com or post up on imbalanced history of rock and roll on facebook if you have a comment on this Tom
1: York's not going to be at the award ceremony. He's got something that he, some beautiful musical masterpiece he wrote is being performed live for the first time in France. So he's going to be, which is the same night, which I'm sure that was scheduled way before oh, the yeah. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame I, stuff when heard, happened.
2: When I heard uh, that he wasn't going to be there and why, I thought, well, that has to be something that's been planned for some time. And it, it, it's it's where he is. It's where his creative impetus is. And, and he's being honored in a, in a really nice way.
1: Yeah. Dude's a genius. You can't deny that. And you can't deny his impact on humans. But did he have the same impact on music that he did on people?
2: I think that's a question that's being determined now. It's not fully determined because what they did or what they've done is to inspire young artists to follow their absolute internal muse, to do what you feel, write what you write. and, And people love it or don't. And you'll handle the consequences in that respect.
1: So based on that, I guess it's a fair nomination to say that they're in. They're definitely one of those bands that's going to get debated hotly because they're Radiohead. And you either like them or you
2: don't. I think it gets around to that. But there's some... I'm one of the weird ones that doesn't necessarily feel that way. How about, is it more exciting that Roxy Music is getting into the Hall of Fame, or that they actually finally got fucking nominated after, you know, they haven't recorded in 30 some years, 30 plus years, and they first nomination, first ballot, they're in. And uh, hot on the heels of that announcement, Brian Ferry, man, who had nobody's really... He hasn't gotten off the beach or the boat in quite a while. Yeah. He announces that he's going to do a tour of the band's legendary 1982 album, Avalon, which oh. will be happening. And I looked at the dates. He's starting right after the hall, and he's going everywhere. He's going across Europe, and I think he's doing a part of Africa, and he's doing South America, and then he's coming to the U.S. It's basically going to be performing the Avalon album, and of course, a lot of your favorites. Yep. And for those of us who uh, were around during that period time they became legendary the albums the some of the they they weren't really connecting big at first but the the critics loved them the cool kids loved them yep and they developed a a following oh yeah but it was 1975 when they released the siren record that it was unbelievable when love is the drug hit the radio airwaves it was everywhere when i say it was everywhere it was on every rock station and there were two here every pop st- it was everywhere it was it on seems. pop stations yeah. too wow and and you look at their family tree of course the core being Brian Ferry and Phil Menzanera and Andy McKay and Paul Thompson but you, you look at people like Brian Eno and Eddie Jobson uh, John Gustafson and Graham Simpson who Paul's brother played bass on a couple of the records they built their own little family tree that didn't really extend out that far but then of course mm-hmm. Eno reaches out and reaches across and touches all kinds of people in oh, his yeah. career and it, we'll talk we should do that we should do the Eno tree Oh, we definitely
1: Definitely should that so, that tree's huge, and that's another big discussion.
2: It's another one of those. What took you so long, Rock Hall? It's really one of those things. And you could say the same thing about the final band uh, that we have to talk about on this podcast, the Zombies, who've been around since the 60s. They go away. They come back every few years. Every time there's a 60s wave of uh, revival, they'll come back and do some touring and stuff. But they're getting in. I think they started their recording career at 65, 66, as part of that second wave of British uh, invasion. But I'm really glad to see them getting in. They're one of those bands that did certainly enough in their era to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
1: Those last... Two are amazing. Brian Ferry, Roxy Music have to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. His influence on music is huge and astounding, especially the progressive music. And they were kind of a weird, like, weird early prog rock band in the yeah. vein of King Crimson and some of those bands. Plus,
2: he was like a really good looking guy. He mm-hmm. was a stand up singer in yep. a suit. He yeah. was, they ran contrast to a lot of what was going on, the Earth Dog thing in yeah. rock and roll. And they, they were smooth. Everything mm-hmm. came out like they, they were experimental and smooth yep. at the same time. It was kind of neat.
1: And just so you know how great Avalon is, if you find somebody you enjoy being with, have sex to that album. I'm telling you, that album is magical. <laughs> Avalon is a magical and album. spoken and like I a will... man
2: who has. <laughs>
1: Asking for a friend. It's, but, it's, it's but Seriously, it's an amazing album. I don't
2: want to brush by the zombies. I mean, they had so many hit songs when they oh, were yeah. hot in the 60s, and they tried to continue. It just didn't go on that long. So they're getting in, and we haven't yet found out Who's presenting who for this year? But when we get that, we'll keep you updated on a future podcast. Now, one of the things that we, uh, one of the things we've been alluding to, is the people who aren't in the Rock Hall, mm-hmm. and um, you can look at it as a bitch list. We're going to sit here and bitch about it, but there are strong cases, I think, for almost all of the artists that we've been, we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. because if you look at the last three induction classes, right in 2016, in the category of finally cheap trick. Chicago Deep Purple Steve Miller Finally, those four bands all got in in 16. Then in 17, ELO, and and you can make the case for finally for Joan Jett, too, right?
1: Nile Rodgers' Journey should have been in a long time ago.
2: Yeah, I guess so. I really think so. And Mm. then last year, Bon Jovi and Dire Straits, Nina Simone, who's here in the Philadelphia area, has an even warmer place in people's heart. Uh, Sister Rosetta The Cars, and the Moody Blues, who were the poster child for when is this band going to get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for a long time. They finally got noticed. And Sister Rosetta Tharp, I think it's good that they go back Back and um, they keep finding influences that have influenced um, um, forward. Rosetta Tharp was presented, or musically from the Alabama Shakes. I'm yeah. drawing a blank on her name. Off, the I topic, can't remember her name. But, but I She is know. amazing. I've seen them, I've seen the Shakes live, and she was the perfect person to, huh? to present for cool. Sister Sister Tharp. Yeah. Sister but Rosetta
1: Tharp's buried in Philadelphia.
2: I did not know that.
1: Yeah, in fact, she did not have a gravestone, and uh, the governor Ed Rendell got That's her correct. a
2: gravestone. Wow. That's so, really
1: great. And, yeah, I've, I'm a huge fan of Sister Rosetta Tharp. Her guitar work was freaking crazy. Her voice. Her voice. was
2: powerful.
1: And she was a gospel singer. She was Pentecostal. And if you listen to Elvis Presley's guitar player, and then you listen to her style from the 40s when she was doing, like, the Lee Millender stuff, like the Tall Skinny Papa, which was a totally dirty sexual innuendo song.
2: That's why nobody heard it on white people radio.
1: If you listen to the guitar work of her from that time period, period, and then you listen to Elvis's guitar player, you'll hear it. You'll yeah. totally hear it, and he even admitted that he was influenced by her. Little Richard was Pentecostal. Elvis was Pentecostal. I mean, the Pentecostal musicians had a gigantic influence on music.
2: Well, you look at the way Christian contemporary Christian music has crossed over since the '70s to sell, uh-huh. and it's 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 a continuing flow in that regard. We, we can do
1: a whole but, episode on Pentecostal and all
2: good for all good yep. for Sister Tharp and everybody else. But, but what about Bag Company? What about Little Feet? What about Warren Zevon?
1: He's still not in. Not in. I I cannot believe he is still not in. And yeah, that might be a little Philly bias because of...
2: Because he lived here?
1: And he lived here, and he loved this city. And, and he loved, and he loved and the Werewolves radio stations of Bryn that we worked yes. for.
2: Sure, the Werewolves of Bryn Maw recorded uh, not far from here. Yep. Uh, MC5, I mean, they were they were a seminal punk band that had a large influence on a lot of things that happened later, including Seattle. And, I, and I, I I think they deserve to be in. I just don't think that enough of the Hall voters get what they are.
1: Yeah, And if it wasn't for the MC5, we wouldn't have Iggy and the Stooges. And people need to understand that.
2: Connecting dots. And... Talk about Philly. The next guy, he almost. Delco. In. Delco. Upper Derby. Our the theater, Mr. Todd Rundgren. Why not? I mean, he, Todd has. What's
1: the case against him?
2: I can't get it. I can't get my head around what the Hall voters are thinking because he was there in the early days of rock and roll. He was uh, in the NAS. He was part of the uh, the first Philly scene for rock and roll, Mm -hmm. really. Transformed that into a producer's role, built his own studio, and it got his own label, Bearsville, uh, where he helped to develop countless bands, including Foghat Produced "Bat Out of Hell" for Meatloaf, continuing to make relevant records well into the 80s and the 90s. Herman and Mink Hollow" well after his initial, you know, run. Things like that, and he's continued to matter. He continues to be, bring people out to see him live, and I think they got to get this done. He's just one of my favorites. He's one of the. Co- I met him at the Tower Theater. It was so weird to meet Todd Rundgren in the building where he graduated high school. That's crazy. It is. Foreigner. You can make a case for Foreigner. I I know that these days Mick Jones is the only original member in the band, but these guys have been doing it continuously since uh, 1976, 77.
1: Because of songs like Hot Blooded it is why I got into radio. I would sit up late at night listening to Foreigner and bands like that on the radio, reading my Hardy Boys books at 10 years old, 11 years old, going, I want to be on the radio talking about music.
2: I'm not just saying I think they should be in because three or four of my friends have played in Farner, but, you know, I think they should get in. And and, and it goes twice as loud for Jethro Tull. Yeah, Most of well. them are still with us, but I can't believe that they have been. And this is part of my problem with the Hall mindset. They have had, since its inception... A predisposed attitude about progressive bands, anybody who's labeled in the progressive fold, the Moody Blues, ELO, King Crimson, ELP, yes, yes, got in on their 50th anniversary. Well, they were only eligible for 25 years. Yeah. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. There's a ton of bands that won't get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as long as John Wenner is alive. And unfortunately, I believe it's about progressive rock and the fact that he and the gang at Rolling Stone didn't get it. They didn't get what was going on there. Then you got to move forward a little. We're getting into our wheelhouse now. Yeah. Because I was there in the 70s, but I was really there in the 90s. And it's good to see Pearl Jam get in last year. Mm -hmm. Was it last year or a year before? Yeah, two years ago. But you still have amazing bands from the 90s like Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. You asked me if I thought Beck should be in. Yeah. And I do.
1: He's very innovative. His live shows, his albums, the things he did with music are totally unbelievable. When he played the Tower Theater, did that puppet show concert where the first half was all puppets and they were behind the scenes stage with instruments, with puppets, doing the music while they were playing behind the stage. It was unbelievable.
2: Rundgren did something like that one time at the Walnut Street Theater. He played, it was him and a synthesizer, backup singers, and cart machines, which you remember from the early days of radio. Yep. And all the backing music and all the weird stuff would be on on tape loops on the cart machines. It was one of the coolest concerts I've ever been to, but it sounds a lot like that. But, you know, you're also talking about STP. We we were talking about Dave Matthews when we first floated this and how, how is it possible, not only with his recorded body of work, his live show body of recordings that have been released, and the fact that they still sell out everywhere they go,
1: every time, every
2: year, every time. It's just a crime that they're not in the hall. Nine Inch Nails, and you know a band that I was very involved with early on was Rage Against the Machine. They should be. I was glad to see them get nominated. I'd like to see them get in.
1: I can't believe they're not in. I know politically a lot of people don't like them, but regardless of whether you like them or not, a lot of the new metal from the late 90s is because of them. Them.
2: All right. Now I got to stick it. All yeah. right. As the guy who was their press representative at Lollapalooza here in Philadelphia. When they came out naked. When they came out naked with PMRC taped onto their chest with nothing but what God gave them behind their hands and stood there under on a drone. Nobody knew what was going on. I was able to get backstage and talk to Timmy C about it. And he gave me the load on on the whole protest because Zach had hurt his back. The way Zach De La Rocca used to throw himself around on stage. It's not too surprising that he had thrown his back out so they knew they couldn't perform so they wanted to do something. So their politics is about freedom of expression. If you're against that, I want to know what country you're from. And we won't get into the whole talking about Russia. The fact of the matter is they are about people being treated fairly and their politics are because of the intensity in the music and Zach's inability to express it in anything less than that vocal manner in which he recorded all their albums makes it hard for some people to get around it. They're a, they're a band... That uh, we should do a whole episode about my rage experiences early to. on. It was just really, it was one of the most fun things to be part of. And I, I, but I think they could be it. And then that kind of leads to my what I call my metal bias. There's a handful of bands that are people and bands that are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They got labeled as metal, and you cannot tell me that Lemmy and Motorhead and all its incarnations do not belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And guess what? Hand dozens of artists who are in the hall would say it's overdue. Dio, oh, are Ronnie you James Dio, me? Back. Back to his work in the 50s and doo through the 60s mm. into Elf, into Dio, into Sabbath and yeah. Rainbow and all the things that he did. Not to mention his... one of the nicest fucking guys that oh. ever made in rock and roll. Great um, interview. That's a him. story. Uh, when he does get in, we'll, we'll yeah. tell that story sometime. I, I'm uh, shocked. Judas Priest. Yeah. Judas Priest, the guys who laid the groundwork for what would be metal in the 80s. They, Them, the Scorpions, and a couple bands like Deep Purple who kept it going. Mm-hmm. They all kept going going into the 80s and then bam! All kinds of things leading. And that leads me to Iron Maiden. I am reading uh, Bruce Dickinson's uh, autobiography, What Does This Button Do? I strongly suggest if you have a metal bone in your body, you read it because not only, he and I are just about the same age. And so it not only gives you a look into how he got into Maiden and how things went. I haven't gotten to the second tour of Maiden yet, but it gets a little crazy, I know that. But it's a great book. It gives you the, the lay of the land at that point in metal history. And, and funny that they're talking, all talking, all the guys in the bands he was in early on. We're talking about Jethro Tull as an influence, yeah. which is a joke because the Grammy's first metal Grammy went to the Jethro Tull, which made us all laugh. You yeah, know, like
1: everybody, in them, everybody in the rock and roll world laughed at that one and probably including Ian Anderson Je- yeah. and Jethro he Tull. They're like, loud. what the fuck?
2: He is an interesting guy. I interviewed yeah, him a couple times. And uh, he's just an interesting guy who does not allow you to have thin skin, let's say. He he's pokes a bit of fun. It's that British thing. I think they got to get past it. I think that they got to let the metal bands, the forefathers of the metal movement, Scorpions amongst them, they all did great work. They were around for a long time, and I think more than just the ones we're talking about deserve to be in. And by the way, you can tell us which ones you think should get in, and uh, maybe we missed somebody. Email your uh, your suggestions and your bands to imbalancedhistory at gmail.com or post it up on this episode's uh, post on Facebook on Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll.
1: We should also talk about, since we did talk about the tw- 2019 entries, we should talk about some of the rejections because...
2: Yeah, people who didn't get in this year. Yeah, We like, talked about a couple of them, yeah, but you, but you like, got more. I know. There's... Devo? I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I understand their influence, but I don't know why it's... Just, they're not... They're not a, this is the first or second time, I think. Yeah, I think this is our
1: second nomination. And, and, well, it isn't a slam dunk for them, I don't think. I, It's totally not a slam dunk. But they should be. I mean, their influence on the 80s music scene and the alternative music is huge. Their cover of... Uh, their cover of uh what is it uh what's the rolling stones cover they do that's just fantastic yes. satisfaction sorry, it's phenomenal drew blank. sorry drew blank senior moment yep <laughs> 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 but their influence and and, up, though. and if you really think about what they're about and who they are they're more relevant today than they were when they first came out and their music and their lyrics are just as relevant today as they were then yeah but
2: you know what's really funny girl and... you
1: want all that oh, it's just that, that, such well, a harsh look at in society
2: look about look at how the 80s is coming back right yep. and they started 70s late 70s but what's happening now is kids who've been born in the last 20-25 years are finally realizing that Mark Mothersbaugh had a career before he was writing Rugrats music and yep. things like that and when they go back and look at all these things they start finding bands they start finding uh, um, uh, what's the other one
1: Phineas and Ferb those dudes are like oh, no but
2: no And I'm thinking of the other band the guy it was a guy who was in a, a band that ended up doing all kinds of kids music for cartoons and uh, there's all this discovery of of Devo going on by kids who mm-hmm. weren't even thought of when Devo stopped performing a oh, million yeah. years
1: ago, and now they're performing again, which How about is that? great. I know it's great. Now, John I want Prime. to know. I want
2: to know. Are they wearing the red hats?
1: I don't know, but they had one video no, that interest? we saw. They had a purple one. They did. Yeah, the girl you want. They wore purple. Nice. And Whip It, they wore red. But, like, we also have, like, John Prine, who... He's one of those guys that I think you have to really be a music studier to know. You have to be a really Follow hardcore... John
2: Prine all through the 70s and 80s. Love some of his uh, albums. One of my favorite songs is Hello in there. And I don't know that he's got enough traction... With rock and roll Hall mm-hmm. of Famers I'm not sure I don't know about that one But Kraftwerk Had such an influence That And they didn't get In this time Their influence On electronica there is still felt In the EDM Movement today Absolutely uh, There's others too um, uh, Jean-Michel Jarre Yeah And uh, you know some of, the, some of the guys That aren't as well known That uh, um, revolutionized The way music Can be I'd say constructed Yeah or built.
1: They built it They probably took Synthesizers And rewired them And added voice box and guitar pedals, slayed, and they
2: slave yeah. keyboards, the keyboards, the drum machines, the key. They, yeah. they they did things in the studio. I think that you know, you know who that's somebody we get to talk about. That is Gardner Andre. Yeah. Always, he'll he'll he definitely know, know that. Yeah, but you know, there's some other artists in different areas that still fit into that category too. People who didn't get in.
1: Yeah. LL Cool J. Yeah. LL Cool J should get in. I mean, his influence on today's hip hop and music is huge. Great songwriter, wrote a lot of music. Rufus and Chaka Khan, while I absolutely love them, I don't know if their influence is that. I Huge.
2: LL Cool J will have more of more traction in future years because of the nearness of his era. The hard part starts to get when you're in uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, or even before that. Artist that hasn't had the traction to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, yet. And I think and, and Chaka and Rufus, uh, they made some great records. I just don't know if it'll be enough for the Rock Hall voters, who are the most fickle SOBs that I've ever come yeah. across. When you see how these things get done, we all have disagreements with how the Golden Globes come out, with how the Academy Awards. And the Grammys come out. But the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, until the last few years, had stopped making sense to me. There's a little Talking Heads reference. And it's starting to feel a little bit better, which is good. And I'm glad to see the people that are getting in this year. They'll be going in in March. It'll be on TV in April. And uh, I look forward to seeing what happens there.
1: Me too. I'm looking forward to the performances. I'm hoping that Brian Ferry performs with the band, whoever's around, or just to have I him up there with a bunch in up of already. He's not uh, going to
2: miss this chance.
1: Good. I hope so. And no, it's exciting. And again, Please share your opinions about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If we mess something up, we want to know what we messed up so we can fix it. Especially if
2: it's somebody that you love that didn't get nominated that we didn't mention. We want to hear from you about that.
1: Definitely. And the email is imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. Or you can hit us on Facebook, Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll.
2: Live from the Dark Doc Media Studios, I'm Ray Coog, the Doc.
1: I'm Marcus in the Darkest.
2: We'll catch you next time on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll.
0: What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family. The money. What's your Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Were they shot? Were they shot? Would you kill? From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American criminal, the Menendez brothers, beginning February 29th.